On episode three, we spoke to Jamie Hunt, the host of Enrollify's Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. We had a real discussion about higher ed's talent crisis. And as you've heard, I love to ask my guests about the way forward for institutions to turn their faculty and staff into brand ambassadors as a way of igniting their employer branding efforts. Jamie told me a great story about a brand ambassador program that she created while she was at Winston-Salem State University and how much of an asset Dr. Elwood Robinson, their chancellor at the time, was to this effort. As someone who's admired Dr. Robinson's work from afar, I had to take the chance to connect with the man himself to get his views on employee engagement. He joins us in this episode of I Want to Work. No matter the institution, company, or organization, everyone wants to find the best talent and everyone wants to keep their best talent. Higher education is no different. I'm Eddie Francis. I've worked in both talent acquisition and higher ed marketing. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ways to create a great experience for faculty and staff on your campus. Because in education, a great employee experience equals a great student experience. And who doesn't want that? We'll have some honest conversation, get insights from experts, and hear success stories from campuses. It's all about developing an attractive employer brand, something that'll make the people say, I want to work there. Dr. Elwood Robinson served as chancellor at Winston-Salem State University from 2015 to 2023. Kathleen Kelly, chair of Winston-Salem State's Board of Trustees, referred to Robinson as, quote, an inspirational, thoughtful, and dynamic leader. Having undergone a rebrand, Winston-Salem State's endowment increased from, get this, $30 million to $100 million under Robinson's leadership. The university also raised more than $164 million in research grants, and it invested more than $145 million in campus infrastructure. Winston-Salem State, by the way, also won 16 CIAA championships. Uh, The CIAA, you should know, is a storied HBCU athletic conference. Speaking of which, I would be remiss if I didn't also note that being in the state of North Carolina, Winston-Salem State thrives in one of the nation's most competitive and healthiest HBCU ecosystems. Here's my conversation with Elwood Robinson. Joining me on I Want to Work There is the former chancellor of Winston-Salem State University, Dr. Elwood Robinson. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you? I am fine. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for inviting me. And when you introduced me and you said, former chancellor at Winston-Salem State University, retired, just retired in June of this year, spent eight and a half years as chancellor of that great university. And I will tell you, Eddie, I am enjoying retirement right now. (laughs) (laughs) That was going to be my next question because mysteriously, you look so rested right now. I don't know what it is, but you just look rested. (laughs) Everyone tells me that everywhere I go, they say, you look so rested. You look so refreshed. What's going on? I said, look, (laughs) you know, 40 years in higher education, Eddie, 40 years in higher education, retired once at North Carolina Central University after teaching there for 28 years and I spent about two and a half years in New England at Cambridge College in Massachusetts, 
Uh, I returned back to the state in 2015 uh, as a 13th chancellor at Winston-Salem State University and spent eight and a half years, eight and a half wonderful, wonderful years at that great university started in 1892. As we always say, celebrating HBCUs is what I do and what I've done for a large part of my life. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely want to get into life at an HBCU with you because, yeah, I did see that you graduated from Central, but then you also got your master's from Fisk, I saw. And so you are, you, as the folks in the HBCU community love to say, you know, you're a double, you're a double degree HBCU alum. <laughs> so. so one of the things, just to, just to add to that before you, your question is not only, and so graduate from North Carolina Central University, you're right. I got my master's degree at Fisk University, and it was a joint program with Meharry Medical College. So it was. So I did the the didactic part, the academic part was at Fisk, and the clinical part was at Meharry Hubbard Hospital. And so it was kind of it was a joint program. It was a federally funded program at the time, but the degree was a Fisk University degree. But always want to let folks know my association with Meharry Medical College as well. And then when I retired from Winston-Salem State University this year, they honored me by giving me an honorary doctorate. So I'm also now an alum of another HBCU, Winston-Salem State University. Outstanding. So we'll call you a triple alum. There we go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to find out from you, though, is that this opportunity came along for you to become chancellor of Winston-Salem State. Why? What did you see there that made you want to be chancellor? Uh, I must tell you, that's a great question. I don't even know if anyone has ever asked me that before. But when I was at North Carolina Central University and I went to Cambridge College, and it was a really interesting experience because Cambridge College is is a, a college for adult learners. It started in 1960, so people would come back and get master's degrees. There would folks who had been working would come and get these degrees, and it really became a, a very uh, interesting university at the time. And it really so it's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and it sits right between Harvard and MIT. And so every day that I every day that I would go to work. You know, my office, one side of me, there's Harvard University, the other side, you know, is MIT, lived in Cambridge in that area. And everybody who comes to that area thinks that they're going to change the world. They're convinced that they're going to come up with the next big idea. And the energy there is, quite frankly, amazing. I knew, but I'm a Southerner, and I knew that New England was probably not the place for me long-term, but short-term, just an amazing experience being there. Got the opportunity to begin to think about what my next move was going to be, and there, the position became available at Winston-Salem State University, and I knew that was a university that I had some interest in. I knew about it as I, I was a student Winston-Salem. I, I was a student at North Carolina Central University, and I knew about Winston-Salem State at the time, certainly being at CIAA and all of those kinds of things. But it was only when I began looking at the university and researching the university to see where they were that I knew that it was a place that I wanted to be. 
Uh, it was a place, in my opinion, that was on the cusp of transformation. It was a university that was thinking differently about higher education and how higher education can be delivered. They did an interesting thing very early on around 2012 and 2013. They began to look at all of their colleges and all of their apart departments, and they began to say that they didn't want to create these these typical silos, departmental silos, college silos. And they started thinking about how do we begin to dismantle that and break down those walls in some very interesting ways. And so it really, they really got my attention about the work that was going on there from an academic perspective, but the work that was going on from a visionary perspective. And plus, Winston-Salem is in North Carolina. I'm a North Carolinian. It gave me an opportunity to come back to my home state and then to really get invested in the citizens of North Carolina. I'm a product of that. So, and I know, I knew, I knew the students that went to Winston-Salem State University. Many of them came from the same backgrounds that I came from. Many come from rural America. Many came from under-resourced families. And so that appealed to me to be able to come back to an institution that, in my opinion, was mission-driven and an institution that wanted to elevate these students at the highest possible level. So we take that, Eddie, along with the experiences that I was having in Cambridge, Massachusetts, about these individuals believing that they can change the world and they can do anything. And I love that energy. And I said, I want to take that same energy to an HBCU. I want to take that same approach to Winston-Salem State University. Now, I want students, faculty, staff, alumni know that greatness is where they're going and what they're trying to achieve. And we can talk a little bit about as we go on about how that manifests itself. And I'll share with you how we ended that whole program of elevating everybody to the highest possible level. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We are definitely walking in that direction. <laughs> One of the things that uh, I wanted to also just get your thoughts on, of course, for the people listening to this podcast on the Enrollify Podcast Network, we have a great podcast host by the name of Jamie Hunt, who is the host of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. She's been a guest on my podcast. She's been a guest on I Want to Work There, episode three. And she told some, she told a great story about turning folks at Winston-Salem State into brand ambassadors. But, and I'm going to get to that in a second, but what I wanted to find out from you is, you know, I, I remember seeing from afar that Winston-Salem State did this great rebrand. What were the thoughts that went into the rebrand that you did? Well, I, there were there are many things, but a couple of things I'll talk about. One is really taking advantage of the deep, and rich history of Winston-Salem State University and beginning to tell that story in ways in which people could appreciate it today. That was important for me. Anytime you talk about changing and transformation, you must also pay, I think, tribute and homage to the past. So I wanted to make sure that we kept that in sync. I also wanted to make sure that we delivered a different message to the world about the importance of HBCUs. And I also wanted to make sure that we delivered to the world the understanding that 
all the students that come to these universities come because they're qualified, they're smart, they're intellectually great, and we need to motivate them. Sometimes they just need support in different ways that they, they might not necessarily get. So if we looked at these, as I looked at the institution in terms of its location, where it was in the region, I knew that it was just a wonderful opportunity for us to tell that amazing story in ways in which people could appreciate it today because, you know, marketing was important for me. I knew when I went to Winston-Salem State in 2015 that I had to have someone to help me tell the story and tell the story loud enough where it could be heard at levels that was important to bring about the significant changes. Because you could, if you do great work, Eddie, and no one knows about it, it's kind of like, you know, that whole story. You know, I remember, you know, when I was in, in grade school, what's that? It, if a tree falls in the forest and no <laughs> one hears it, does it make a sound? Hey guys, it's Zach here, founder of Enrollify, with some huge, huge news. So I am ecstatic to announce that Element 451, the AI-powered all-in-one CRM platform for higher education, has acquired Enrollify. Back in 2019, I approached Tony Frega, the CEO of DD Agency, with an idea. Tony's a good friend of mine, and so I said, dude, let's build a next-generation media hub for higher ed marketers and admissions professionals. As a lover of media, I was just so impressed by how the attention landscape was changing and how brands like The Skim and The Hustle and Morning Brew began to eat up market share from more traditional publications. And I thought there was an opportunity to build something similar, uh, you know, obviously a lot smaller, but similar in the niche but oh-so-important arena of higher education marketing. Tony and the leadership at DD were gracious enough to allow me the time and the space to ideate on this half-baked idea and then launch Enrollify's first-ever content asset, which was, you guessed it, the Enrollify podcast. Since then, Enrollify has grown into one of the most trusted resources for candid higher education marketing content in the industry, and we've welcomed industry giants like Terry Flannery, Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Eddie Francis, Dave Kibbolds, and Jeremy Tears, just to name a few, into our network of creators. As we started thinking about the next chapter of Enrollify's life, it became clear that it was time for Enrollify to scale. I'm pretty good at building things, but scaling things is a skill I'm still working on. When thinking about who could take Enrollify to the next level, I felt as if artists, Mallory, and the leadership at Element 451 were uniquely qualified to inherit the brand. Element has actually been a part of Enrollify's story since the very beginning. They were our second podcast sponsor ever. They have invested in almost every experiment that we've ever run. They ship product faster than any other ed tech company I've ever met. And perhaps most importantly, artists and the leadership team invest seriously in thought leadership and education. Building Enrollify has been the most rewarding experience of my professional career to date, and I couldn't be happier to collaborate with the Element team as we seek to take Enrollify to the next level. And don't worry, I'm not going anywhere just yet. You are not through with my lovely voice just yet. Um, but if you found any value in Enrollify over your years of tuning into our content or watching our videos, it would mean a lot if you could share a kind word or two about how Enrollify has helped inspire you or helped teach you something new about marketing on social media. It would really, really, really mean a lot to, to the whole Enrollify and Element team, but to me personally as well. So if you've gotten any value of any of the content that we've ever produced, share a quick story or, or a quick thought about us on social. That would be wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being here, guys, and get ready. We've got so much in store that I can't wait to share with you all soon. But for now, back to the podcast. 
you wanted to really develop this little army of brand ambassadors, you know, people who would really push the message and the story of what Salem State. A big part of that was getting employees into it. <laughs> and she talked about how when people got their invitations to sit with the chancellor and find out about this ambassador program, how pleased employee were, how pleased employees were to get something from the chancellor. And so what I wanted to find out from you is in your mind, why was it important to make employees a part of that brand outreach? Well, you know, one of the things I'll I'll say, and I, I listened to that podcast, and I also listened to Jamie, and uh, so much of the thinking behind that was Jamie Hunt, and I have to give her credit for that. I can't say that I deserve much credit for thinking about the ambassador program that we have for employees. But it is it fits with the whole philosophy about where we wanted to take the institution. And the philosophy is that every single person on campus is important and every single person is vital to the success or not success of the institution. And I wanted everyone to understand that their role is essential, first of all. And when we talk about having great places to work. When I went to Winston-Salem State University in 2015, one of the first things that I said to the employees, and I said, I want to make this a great place to work. And you can't do that without the assistance of every single employee that is on campus. So for me, it's embracing each and every person that works on campus. It is helping them understand that they're vital to the success of the institution, that, and that they're valued. I understood that very clearly, being in a student at an HBCU and understanding that so much of my education came not in the classroom, but outside of the classroom. It came from the people that I met, the people who work in the residence halls, and the people who work in the sporting arenas. Those individuals that took time and sat with me were not necessarily, you know, my instructors. Although my instructors were important, I came to believe that learning happens every single place on the campus. So when we started thinking about rebranding and we started thinking about the next strategic plan, that plan was all about being equity minded. What I said, I asked myself, and I asked the staff, and I asked the faculty, what would it look like if we gave every single student who came here a wonderful, dynamic experience like none other? What if we chose not to cater to the great students or the top 10% of the students, but what if we said we want to cater to every single student that, that came to Winston-Salem State University? For example, when I got there, there were about, I think we were like 17, 18, 19% of students who were uh, engaging in an internship. And in 2015, the data was really clear. If you went to college and if you did an internship, you were 70 to 80% more likely to get a job. And that was important. So we said, and I asked the question, and pe people looked at me very strange. 
And I say, what if every student got a chance to have an internship or a high impact practice, as we were called, the HIPs, as they call them today, high impact practice? Every student. And so it was important to engage the faculty, the staff, and trying to be equity minded and trying to make sure that we could give every single student this great experience. So when we started thinking about telling the Winston-Salem State University story, it became apparent to me that the best people to tell that story were the people who worked at the university. Because if you go somewhere and if you really want to know about an organization, Ask the people who work there. Don't ask the CEOs and don't ask the, the C-suite people. Stop and ask the people who are working on the grounds or stop to ask people who are working in the building. Those are the individuals that can really tell the story. And if we're really going to make it a great place to work and if we're serious about it, then we ought to see it at that level. And we ought to use those individuals who have bought into the mission and who have bought into the vision to begin to tell the story. So it was important for us to be able to do that. So when Jamie Hunt came up with the idea of the brand ambassadors, it was not only an opportunity for us to tell the story, Eddie, but it was an opportunity for us to celebrate employees. And that's important for us. In higher education, we can't pay people what we need to pay them. We just, you know, we just can't. That's not the kind of industry where we can pay high salaries. But we ought to be able to respect them. And we ought to be able to celebrate them in ways. The brand ambassador program gave us an opportunity to do that. And gave us an opportunity to begin to open up the university to spaces that had not been opened up before. So these brand ambassadors get an opportunity to kind of they, gave, they got an opportunity to come to the chancellor's office, you know, to the conference room and sit around the conference table, just like everybody else, you know. And it, while, it, while a lot of people might not see the value in that, the employees see the value in that. Eddie, I'll tell you, I've been in my office and I've had faculty members come in and they'll peep into my office. And they'll say, well, I've never been in the chancellor's office before. And I was like, you know, that was like, and so for a lot of folks, you know, that became a big deal. And, and it was something that I had not recognized. And I think because of the vision about the brand ambassador program that really came from Jamie Hunt, I think we were able to do that. And then we were able to not only have a brand ambassadors programs, the brand ambassador program, but then we also uh, began to have student ambassadors. We have the chancellor's ambassadors program, thereby getting these individuals an opportunity to hear the story. Because when a, a potential donor comes to campus or a potential partner comes to campus, what they want to hear is they want to hear from the students and they want to hear from the staff. We know that through accreditation. So much of accreditation is all about that. There is no accreditation agency that comes to your institution that they don't want to talk to students and they don't want to talk to faculty and they don't want to talk to staff. And so it gave us an opportunity. And it gave also, Eddie, it gave us an opportunity to begin to educate them about the 
the strategic plan, about the vision of the university. And that that filters down throughout the organization because those those brand ambassadors now who work in every single aspect of the university can begin to have conversations with their colleagues about what's happening and what's going on. And if they hear from their colleagues, they're much more likely to say, well, you know, I I guess they are trying to do something, you know, a little something here at the university. So it helps us in so many ways. There are two things. First thing is actually more of a general statement. You know, I've worked with three HBCUs, uh, Southern University of New Orleans, Paul Quinn College, and Dillard University. And in all three situations, and this is not unique to HBCUs, but I do know that with HBCUs, there is a conversation not only of race, but also of class in a lot of cases. And so you do have those employees on campus who have the feeling that the administration building is some other type of thing, <laughs> you know. And I remember um, I remember I was having a conversation with the administration building at Dillard University is Rosenwall Hall. And I remember having a conversation with a colleague once on campus, and he said, well, you know, y'all do things different in Rosenwald Hall. And I was like, what's that supposed to mean? I was like, I was like, no, I'm I'm an employee just like you. But to your point about people saying, people feeling special because they had the opportunity to sit in a chancellor's conference room and they had the opportunity to poke their heads into your office and say hello and that sort of thing, I do think it makes a huge difference to those everyday employees that they are able to know that they have a connection with the administration outside of something that may be some sort of penalty or, you know, it's not like going to the principal's office. You know, they realize that they are invited into that space and they are part of that space. And they, so I think that's, I think for a lot of people, they may not realize just how great that was that you were able to you know, establish this culture of folks who felt welcome and they, they, they really were a part of what was happening in the administration. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's really a big deal. Eddie, absolutely. I mean, when you were talking, it made me think about when I was at North Carolina Central University and I, and there is this, and some of it is, is there myths and legends about these schisms between administration and faculty and students. And it really is a myth, Uh, but it is a myth that has some weight to it. And you have to break down those barriers. I remember when I was a faculty member, if someone said I had to go to the dean's office, I was like, I got to go to the dean's office. And it was almost, it almost (laughs) like, it's it's just like what you just said. It's all kind of like going to the principal's office. Why do I have to go to the dean's office? I remember being a uh, department chair and the Julius Chambers, the legendary Julius Chambers was chancellor at North Carolina Central University. And I get a call and I said, they said, the chancellor wants to see you at two o'clock. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, you know. <laughs> what? All, what? All kinds of thoughts <laughs> come with that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> has not historically, in terms of the way we've managed it, has not been a place where people get excited about hearing that they have to go to the dean's office or the chancellor's office. And and that's part of breaking down those barriers 
to make people feel more welcome and feel like I wanted folks at Winston-Salem State University to feel like Blair Hall was their building, their, the people's building, so to speak. They try to say that about the White House. I'm not sure it ever comes through, but it is the people's house. That's where you do the business of the university and everyone should feel welcome. And that's the kind of spirit or the energy that I wanted to try to get people to appreciate. Mm. So the other thing I wanted to ask is, and this was my second thing, and I think this is a huge question. I have been on a subcommittee for an accreditation visit, and a lot of it had to do with marketing, had to do with branding and that sort of thing. And one of the things I wondered as I heard you talk about building that culture is how important is it when there is an accreditation visit for the review, the reviewers to see that employees are engaged? Oh, it it is very important because we just maybe right, right, actually right during the pandemic, we went through our SAC COC accreditation accreditation. And you know, that's a really, really big deal for universities. And, you know, it takes a lot to prepare, but it also takes a lot to be able to communicate to the university community about accreditation, why it's important, what it means for the university, your role in that process. And it's important for folks to understand that. So that's the work of the administration to be able to do that, to be able to get that information to employees to understand the direction that we're trying to go. Because it's when we had just went through, not necessarily a, sort of a rebranding, but also a rebranding along with a new strategic plan. And so when I got there in 2015, it was the end of that plan, the beginning of another. So when we talk about the work, and when Jamie talks about the work that she did when she was, was with me, it was during that, 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 you know, that, that rebranding for the next strategic plan. That information needs to be communicated internally and externally, internally where folks can speak to the plan. So when accreditors come on campus, they want to know if that's really occurring. Yeah. You're talking about the and you're talking about the quality enhancement. The quality enhancement plan. Right. So they want to know whether whether you actually know about that. And Eddie, they really want to know have you participated? And the development of that plan, were you involved? How have you invo- uh, been involved in that? Yeah, it, it was so funny Yeah, because I, I actually worked a lot on the QEP with Southern University of New Orleans. And so it was really so it was it was frustrating. But that was a part of it. That was also a lot of fun. And that was a part of it, you know, about about going around to faculty and staff and students and, you know, walking around campus and stopping people going, do you know what the QEP is? <laughs> so, and, and, and it got to a point where people actually started to have fun with it. And they started to say, oh, I know it. I know it. I know it. And so it became it became this big quiz thing for them. But I, I, it was interesting because when the when the accreditation team visited Sudo, um, I thought that actually made a difference for people to actually, even if they didn't know it, they would stand there and kind of snap their fingers in front of the accreditation team and say, I know this, I know this. And then I, I say, well, it kind of makes a difference because they don't look stressed out. 
And the other thing is they didn't look cynical or detached from what was going on from the institution. They looked as if they were actually interested in in remembering what, what the QEP was at that time. So I hope people got a lot out of the fact, you know, that when it comes to accreditation visits, even if it's SACS or if it's an accreditation for an area like the business school or nursing program, I hope that people did do get a lot out of the fact that it is important for accreditors to see engaged employees. And that's probably something a lot of us don't think about in higher ed uh, when it comes down to what it. Are the thing? Let me add to that in terms of understanding about the institution. One of the things at Winston-Salem State University, you know, in lot, so many of the HBCUs have this really amazing pride, is really what I like about an HBCU. People buy into the history, the traditions, the culture. And I think oftentimes people think that HBCUs are monolith, and they're not monolithic at all. In fact, they're very different. I mean, I can tell you my experiences at, at, at NCCU, very different than WSSU, very different from Fisk. And you can go to these institutions, a lot of commonalities, but, but some subtle differences. And and so one of the things that at WSSU is students really embrace the history and tradition. They embrace the motto. So they know the motto. So I've had accreditors tell me, they said, we walk around campus, we stop students all the time. And we said, you know, what's the motto? And she, he, they said, invariably, your students all know it. She said, it's, it's unusual. So they're going to enter to learn, depart to serve. And that's part of that, 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 that history and that tradition of these institutions that, that are very important and we want to hold on to. You come from a place where the culture of HBCUs is pivotal to the communities where they sit. North Carolina has, and I'm going to get a lot of grief from my fellow Louisianans when I say I'm a native of New Orleans, I'm going to get some grief when I say this, but North Carolina is one of the best HBCU states in the country. I mean, there's just hands down. You got Winston-Salem State, you got Central, you got A&T, you got Shaw, St. Augustine, Elizabeth City, Johnson C. Smith. You have all of these different HBCUs in North Carolina. And so it is really interesting, you know, as I was having a conversation with Halima, my wife, who is, is you know, a, a native of North Carolina, went to Salem, attended Hampton. And one of the things that she talked to me about one day is that how in the communities there, the expectation is, is, is if you are a talented African-American student, you are going to an HBCU because that's where you belong. And watching your TED Talk, Something that I, I picked up that I thought was really important is that you made this great point about HBCUs being places of social change. And that is, you know, that's what happened there. Tell me how this statement grabs you. When it comes down to, you know, employer branding and employee engagement, it just occurred, it just hits me. And I was very passionate about trying to do this where I was, but it hits me that. HBCUs are places that are tailor-made tailor for great employer branding because of the not only the history and the tradition, but the extraordinarily strong sense of community and a sense of purpose that people have not only in attending HBCUs, but working at HBCUs. How does that land with you? Uh, you know, it lands very well with me. And I, I think there are 
great places. What we have seen and what I have enjoyed, I think, over the past, I guess maybe since I've been since I was chancellor at One Seven State from about 2015 on, is really the rethinking about HBCUs and the power of HBCUs. Some of that, Eddie, certainly happened during the pandemic. A lot of that happened with the whole George Floyd case. Uh, But a lot of that happened during the pandemic when people began to see all the inequities that we have in this country, in America. And it was alarming to me that it took something like a pandemic for people to realize that. And so all of a sudden now, you know, people are saying, you know, begin to see these inequities are unacceptable and we need to do something to provide the kind of support that's necessary for these institutions to thrive, not only HBCUs, but higher education in general. That is not just about having the elite institutions that receive massive amounts of money, large-scale endowments that are able to provide the kind of resources that these students need in order to be successful, that institutions who cater to students who are Pell-eligible, like, for example, over 50% of the students that come to Winston-Salem State come from families that make less than $50,000 a year, certainly less than 75. 20% Eddie of students that come to Winston-Salem State University comes from families that make less than $25,000 a year. But one of the things that's true and that's important that these students have nothing to do with their intelligence, has nothing to do with their ability to achieve at the highest possible level. That is why when you come on campus today, you'll see students walking around in t-shirts and say that I'm unleashing my genius. Because we started We started from the perspective that we started from a global perspective that we believe that genius is equally distributed throughout the country and throughout the world. But the opportunities to express that genius have been denied for too many people for too long. And we say at Winston-Salem State University that we're going to change that. So when you talk about branding, you talk about marketing, you talk about intelligence, and you talk about genius, and you talk about innovation, and you talk about creativity, the more we give, the more people we give the opportunity to express that, the better we're going to be as a society. So if only 10% get that opportunity, that's where we're going to stay. But think of how the world would be different, or think about how America would be different if we gave 25% other people an opportunity to do that. So when we think about these institutions, it is a perfect opportunity to think about how we are equity-minded and how we give people an opportunity to reach their full, full potential at the highest possible level that we believe in these students. You can't work at an HBCU. You can't work at Winston-Salem State University if you don't believe in the genius of these students, if you believe if you believe that those students shouldn't be there, then you shouldn't be working at Winston-Salem State University or a university like that. Because these students are there for a reason, and we have to provide them the opportunities for them to excel. So what happens is that we get these students, and here's the thing. So when I got to, when I got to Winston-Salem State, in 2015, about I guess about March or in the spring, there was an article that came out 
that said the students who graduated, students from Winston-Salem State, six months after they graduate, were employed at the highest rate of any university in the UNC system. I remember this article. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Right. Now, now if you think about that, and, and so what is the message there? Now, here we have these students, and they're coming here. We're creating opportunities for them, and they're going out, and they're getting a job, and they're thinking about, and they change the trajectory of themselves and their families by getting this job and becoming employed. And that's a huge deal, but it's a testament to the intelligence and to the genius of those students because we have provided them an opportunity for them to express that. And so student success is the key hallmark of where we are. And it started with making sure that every student gets a high-impact practice. Eddie, we went from 18 19% in 2015. Today, almost 75% of every student at Winston-Salem State University engages in a high-impact practice. And so when we talked about them being employed six months after graduation, that's just changing themselves and their families. But I said, we have to change communities. So our, the new strategic plan was about wealth creation. So it's not about it's creating jobs, but it's also about creating wealth and building upon that. That's the direction that we have to go. It's about innovation and creativity. And that's why the new, the new HBCU communities is all about that, leveraging the power of the human spirit to be able to get these students to go out and change the world. So with that being said, at the end of every uh, interview, I like to find out from folks what they believe the way forward is for colleges and universities to convert their uh, faculty and staff into brand ambassadors. I'm going to ask you a kind of a different question. It's still in that vein. But given the commentary that you've just given about HBCUs, especially uh, the experiences that you had in Winston-Salem State. What can folks learn from HBCUs as far as turning their faculty and staff into brand ambassadors? Well, you know, I think it is is really understanding the importance of higher education in various communities across the country. If, for example, you come to work at an institution I want people to believe that I'm coming there because I have the students are the center of this experience, that I'm not necessarily the center. So every day that I went to work, I thought about students and I thought about well, so when I thought about the vision for the institution, when I thought about the new strategic plan for the institution, it was all about how I can prepare these students for success in a fast-paced, ever-changing world. As long as I kept, and as long as you keep students at the center of that, but you also got to do one other thing when you're in that vein, though, Eddie. You also have to understand your students and understand your student population and understand who is at your university. You got to spend time doing that. And if you do that, I think you're going to have better synergism between faculty and students. You're going to have better synergism between faculty and administration, when you can somehow get them to believe that we're all in this together 
and that the decisions that we're making are in the best interest of the individuals. And sometimes those are hard choices and hard decisions that you have to make about where you allocate resources along the way. And that's a challenge for institutions that don't have a lot of money, a lot of flexibility to be able to do things. For example, we, you and I know, and most everyone in higher education know that higher education has changed dramatically in a sense that it's all about the partnerships that you can create. Universities can't do it alone. We have to have the partners to be able to work with us. So at Winston-Salem State University, we talked about developing signature partners. And you can't have signature partners without having brand ambassadors. You got to have brand ambassadors who are faculty, who are staff, who are beginning to tell that story and to work with these with corporate America to be able to make this work. It requires now that we develop these signature partners. The classic one is a partnership that we developed with Novant. And that, the partnership, that partnership is thriving even today. And I had a conversation with an executive, even though I'm retired, I had a conversation with one of the, one of the, one of the Nationwide is a company I want to talk about, Nationwide. And so as we developed that partnership, it was really sitting down together to say, well, what are you looking for? When a student comes to your organization, how, do, how would you like them to look? What kind of skills do you think they should be equipped with? And then coming back and using that to improve or enhance or change our curriculum, make sure our curriculum is in, in, in lockstep with what's happening in corporate America. So when we talked about creating internships for those, it's about having conversations with, with those executives and saying, these are our students. These are where our students are coming from. These are some of the needs of our students. And can we collectively come up with a pathway for them to come into your company and be successful? I can't just, Eddie, I can't just send students to Nationwide, to Columbus, Ohio. So, one of the, so they have to understand that they, where these, these students are coming from. I've asked students who have never been out of the state before, right? And so these students have never been out of the state. All of a sudden, they have an internship in Columbus, Ohio. What do they need in order to be successful? What will keep them energized? And so it is really about having, you know, having a workforce, having a faculty, having a staff that understands that it's important what we do both on campus but it's important in terms of the messages that we send to corporate America, to any other entity in our community about who we are as an institution. And when you can get folks to embrace that and understand that, that every time that they walk into a store in our community, they're telling the HBCU story, they're telling the Winston-Salem State University story, and I always keep that, and I always kept that in the back of my mind. It wasn't Elwood Robinson going somewhere. It was the entire university going somewhere. And I had to act a certain way and speak a certain way 
and can and conduct myself a certain way. Because if I didn't, then it would be detrimental to the success of the university. And then sharing that success, Eddie, is important. If you have success, then you share that with every single person and embrace that and celebrate it. Celebrate small successes, because if you celebrate small successes, uh, then they lead to big successes along the way. So celebrate everyone. Outstanding. Well, Dr. Robinson, if anyone wanted to learn more about you or get in touch with you, how can they get to you? They can always get to me. And, you know, I'm a I'm a I say I'm a private citizen now. I'm a retired. <laughs> I'm, I'm a retired chancellor. But I'm still Chancellor Emeritus, still have my email address at Winston-Salem State University. Uh, so you can always contact me uh, via email. I love to have the opportunity to talk about higher education. That's what I've done for 40 years, and I probably will continue to do that. But right now, Eddie, I am doing nothing. <laughs> In that case, we will direct people to your LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's time to start doing a few things. I'll I'll get back into the game in a little while. (laughs) Oh, go ahead. Rest some more. Go ahead. Enjoy the football season, something. But (laughs) that's right. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for joining me on I Want to Work There. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, check out other Enrollify shows. The Enrollify Podcast Network is growing by the month with all kinds of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows. And they're jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. There are some great industry voices that you can check out, like Terry Flannery, my good friend Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Corinne Myers, Dustin Ramsdale, Jamie Gleason, and many more. Learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. So uh, come and find yours. <laughs>